0: You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening.
1: Praise you, Holy God, that you are the God who holds us in your heart, that you have revealed your grace and your endless love to us through Jesus, and all of Scripture bears witness to Him. We pray now that you would illumine the reading and preaching of your Word through your Spirit, that we would be those who don't just listen and walk away unchanged, but that we would respond to your Word today with obedience and with love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church. It's great to see all of you here today. Uh, If you've been with us for the last couple of months, you'll know that we're working through the Book of Mark in this season of Lent as we make our way towards Easter. the The name of this sermon series is called the Way of Jesus. That has kind of a dual meaning to it. We, we are literally watching the way of Jesus as he makes his way closer and closer to Jerusalem, where the events of Holy Week will occur. But I hope you're also seeing that the way of Jesus is also kind of shorthand for the life of the Christian. That being a Christian. Uh, does not mean sort of a continuation of the old life with now a thin veneer of religiosity, but that the Christian way is an entirely new way with a new community, with a new system of values, with a new worldview, that the way of Jesus is a totally new way to live. So we're gonna see that pretty starkly today in the passage um, from Mark chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 10. Uh, verses 32 through 45, we're going to hear that reading today from Val Kling, so let's hear as God's Word is read to us. I'm
0: reading from Mark 10, 32-45. They were all prepared to Jerusalem, but Jesus leading way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher. They said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Last summer, my wife Sarah had this opportunity to take one of those epic trips of a lifetime. She and some girlfriends took a trip to uh, hike the Tour de Mont Blanc in Europe, which is a 110-mile hike through the Alps that starts in Switzerland and then goes through France and Italy, and she said every day they would wake up and they would go to the trailhead and there would always be a choice, a choice of two paths, Uh, and they could choose the upper path, which was usually the much more beautiful path, but it was also the path that had snow and ice and potentially really inclement weather, Uh, And then there was the lower path, which typically had uh, meadows and pastures and wildflowers and often pubs with really good cheese and beer. And so every day they would just sort of get up and look at each other and decide how they were feeling and just have to make the choice, beauty or beer, which is a very hard choice. (laughs) Very hard choice. Uh, as As Jesus gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, I hope that you've noticed that he keeps talking more and more about his death. And you probably even noted in verses 32 through 34 that the closer he gets, even the more graphic and violent his descriptions of his own death become. This is actually the third time he describes his impending death in three short chapters. And yet after each of the three times that Jesus predicts his death, the disciples, after each time, begin jockeying for position in power, showing just how utterly uncomprehending they are of Jesus's mission. And so what Mark is doing for us, the readers, he's portraying a dramatic contrast between the way of the disciples and the way of Jesus. It is perfectly encapsulated between verse 35 and verse 45. So look at verse 35. You hear James and John say, "'Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, okay? That's the way of the disciples. Contrast that to verse 45 where Jesus says, the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Those are the two paths, the two perspectives, the two ways, the sons of Zebedee and the son of man in irreconcilable contradiction with one another. They speak with a different voice. They breathe a different spirit. They're animated by a different ambition. They want to occupy thrones of power and glory while Jesus is set on occupying a cross of weakness and shame. The antithesis is total and there is no harmonization. The two paths. And here's what I want to say to you, brothers and sisters. These are the paths that are before you. These are the paths before all of us. These are the paths before you, day after day. It's a choice. It is unavoidable and faces you every day. What way will you choose? So let's look at that choice together today. The first choice is between power or service. Power or service. Verse 35, James and John come to Jesus with this request. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, okay, what do you want? And they say, well, we want to sit at your right and your left when you come into your glory. So what are they thinking here? Well, as they are approaching Jerusalem, they actually do believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe he's the political Messiah. And so they are expecting that Jesus will take Power as the next ruler, and they want to go ahead and make an advance reservation for the two best seats in the house. You know, vice president, secretary of state, right? They're like, hey, Jesus, we want to file a petition for those two seats. Now, um, they clearly, when they are saying we want to be seated on thrones, seated on your right and left, they're envisioning a throne. They're envisioning maybe a big cushy, Velvety throne with some nice walnut hardwood, right? It's a throne, a symbol of power, a symbol of authority. They are thirsting for power. They want to sit in authority over others. They have a vision of greatness that will come as they ride the coattails of Jesus into that place of ultimate dominance, right? And it's not surprising that this is what they're after because. They were just living in the Greco-Roman world, where power and glory and self-promotion was everything. It was the thing of the day. In fact, the best-selling author at the time, Plutarch, wrote a self-help book called "How to Praise Yourself Inoffensively," which would be <laughs> a top ten seller list today, right? That'd be like the theme book for Twitter, right? Um, so this is, you know, this is this is the air that they breathe. This is this is the, these are the cultural waters that they're swimming in. That greatness greatness comes through power through self-advancement through authority even if it means stomping on other people to get there has much changed the lust for power the thirst for glory oh my goodness it's everywhere in politics and public life and business and education and social media in the church as we see the church often use law and politics to seize power and gain control and authority over their so-called cultural enemies. The pulpit itself can often be a, a throne of power as we see, oh my gosh, in the news, story after story after of pastors who use their positions of power for their own gain. As my mentor, John Stott, used to say, the pulpit is a very dangerous place for any child of Adam to occupy. The thirst for power swallows us up. It's more addictive than any drug. And what does Jesus say in response to this? We'll look at verse 42. He says, you know that those who are rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, boss people around, throw their weight and authority around. Not so with you. Let's, let's say that together, fam. Not so with you. My community, he says. If you belong to me, you will operate on an entirely different principle than the world around it. He says this, whoever among you, whoever wants to become great, you wanna become great, you must become the servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all, for even, and this is the key, the son of man, the prince of heaven came not to be served, not to wield power and exercise domination, but to relinquish power in service of others. I mean, y'all, what Jesus was saying must have sounded so bizarre, so confounding, so unlike anything that they have ever heard. He says, for you guys, the model, the example, is not the ruler, but the slave. Your, your example, your model, is not the guy who sits at the head of the table, but the guy who's serving the table in the back room. Your symbol is not the purple robe of the emperor, but the plain, coarse, robe, apron of the servant. If you're gonna be with me, claim my name, follow me, then your way is not the upward way of mobility to greatness, but the downward way of mobility to servanthood. That's where greatness is found in my kingdom. Can you think of ways that, that we, or that you, maybe, that you, might share in this thirst for power, might be ensnared in that same pattern of upward mobility and status and success. and Y'all, Jesus is calling us to a different way. T.W. Manson says this, in the kingdom of God, service is not a stepping stone to nobility. It is nobility. The only nobility that is recognized in the kingdom. One of the greatest men that I've ever known is somebody you have never heard of, a guy named Jack Swanson who lives in the suburbs of Chicago, who for 15 years cared for his wife as she declined with serious Alzheimer's. Long past, 10 years past the point where she was even able to recognize him. Day after day, taking up the greatest honor he said he could ever bear for her. See, in the kingdom of Jesus, friends, to be great is to perform anonymous acts of service that people We'll never see. To be great is to unload the office dishwasher when no one else is around. To be great is to get the cup of water for your kid in the middle of the night and you refrain from waking up your spouse to let them know. To be great (laughs) is to, to be great is to let someone merge in traffic in front of you, even when you're late. See, in the kingdom of Jesus, greatness is achievable every single day, but it's these daily acts of humility and service that we often often overlook in our thirst for power and status. And yet this, Jesus says, service, not power, is my path. That's the first one. The second one is the choice between security and suffering. And asking for thrones, James and John not only want honor and power, they also want comfort and security. I mean, they had follow, been following Jesus for a while now, a couple years. And these, remember, these guys are from a really, probably a upper middle class family. Their dad had a really successful fishing business. We know earlier in the mark, they had, they had servants. And so they were, I'm guessing, getting pretty tired of the vagabond life, right? They were missing some of their comforts from the past, and they are looking forward to finally ending their hobo existence and living in the luxurious palaces of the Roman elite. They're really looking forward to that. And so in response to this absurd request, Jesus is incredibly patient, and he says in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they reply glibly, we can. Now, who knows exactly what they're thinking? I think um, given that they believe that Jesus was a political Messiah preparing to take over Jerusalem, they most likely believe that Jesus was speaking metaphorically about the battle that they were about to go, to go through to take over Jerusalem. And so they'd been training maybe with their stupid little spears and bales of hay or whatever. And they're like, yeah, we're ready. We're ready for the fight. It'll be hard, but in the end, we'll come out on top. We're ready. And of course, Jesus is not talking about any of that. Because when he says, drink my cup, he's not talking about the battle for Jerusalem. He's talking about the cup of suffering, as he says in Mark 14. Father, if it possible, take this cup from me. It's the cup of judgment, the cup of suffering. And when he says baptism, he's not talking about the luxurious pools and the Roman palaces. He's talking about being immersed and overwhelmed by suffering and disaster. Together, cup and baptism are symbols communicating the utterly unique way of suffering that Jesus is called to endure. But the disciples are utterly clueless. They don't know what they're asking. Y'all, they ask for the places on his right and on his left, and in a few short days, the places on his right and his left will be given to executed prisoners, criminals, pinned to a cross like Jesus. So James and John want security and comfort, and Jesus is set instead on the way of suffering. Now, this is, this is the second stark choice before us, and this is a really hard one for us. It really is, because you know, we're so cushioned in affluence. We're so surrounded by comforts. We, uh, you know, hardly any of us knows what real insecurity is, but Jesus makes it really plain here and in other places that comfort and security are incompatible with the way of Jesus. For Jesus, his glory is his suffering. His greatness is the cross. And just think of the the risk that he took with, think think of the breach of conventional wisdom, the incarnation is that Jesus would not stay in the safe, immune, heavenly suburbs of heaven but that he would move heaven and earth, entering into the zone of danger and risk contamination and make himself vulnerable and endure homelessness and isolation and torture and pain. What a rejection of safety, a rejection of self-preservation and an adventure of risk. Jesus says, this is my way. And those who follow me must share my cup. Friends, if this is our Lord, safety first, can never be the Christian motto, can never be. How could we ever insist on conditions of comfort and luxury with Jesus as our King? To follow Jesus always involves some degree of uncertainty and insecurity. And, I, and y'all, there's just so many wonderful examples of this. I was just, I was just thinking this morning about examples in our own congregation. Uh, I, I think of, oh, there's my sister Myrna, who's about to go to, how old are you Myrna? I know Myrna. Myrna's 80 years old. She's about to get on a plane to Zimbabwe to serve the people there. Who does that at 80? You should be on the beach in Cancun, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think of the empty nesters who sold their home to move across the world to share the good news of Jesus. I think of the young couple who recently opened their home to couple of foster kids. I think of the family that I, that I heard downsized to give more money away. I think of the student I talked to recently who associates with Jesus despite the misunderstanding that it sometimes brings. See, Jesus invites all of us to choose alignment with his suffering and find our security in the love and faithfulness of God rather than any external circumstance in our lives. As Paul says in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and we kind of just want to stop there, but he continues the sentence, and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. This is the path for those who follow the suffering king. The path is clear, the choice, power or service, security or suffering, and the last choice is between self seeking or self giving. If there was a entry in the Guinness Book of World Records for the worst prayer ever prayed, you would find verse 36. (laughs) Jesus, please give me whatever I want. (laughs) Uh, This is the precise opposite of true prayer, true prayer involves a surrendering of our will and a surrendering of our agendas to God, not my will, but thine be done. And James and John's request is the opposite, not your will, but mine be done. In fact, I'd like you to use all of your power and all of your influence for my own gain. How can I use God and other people to get what I want? If if James and John went to the VCU Brand Center and they got a motto for a T-shirt, it would say, your life for mine, right? That's their motto, and this is the motto of the world. This is the motto of the selfish human heart, and the older I get, and the more I reflect back on my own, even my own Christian life, I realize that most of everything I've done, even the very best things I've done, the good things I do are often for my own gain and glory. Sure, I'll serve in the homeless shelter, and I sure hope you take some good photos from my Instagram feed, hashtag humble. Um, <laughs> You know, we we use these things. We use our good deeds and, and and we use our service and we use others and we use even God himself to get the things that we want for ourselves. Give me the likes, give me the affirmation, give me the comfort, the security, the wealth, your life for mine. And what does Jesus say? Not so with you. If Jesus went to the brand center, he probably wouldn't. His motto would be, my life for yours. Verse 45, he sums it up. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We sang about that earlier. His wounds have paid my ransom. Ransom comes from the Greek word "lytron, which means a payment to buy a slave or a prisoner. The ransomer would make this huge payment uh, to set, a servant free that was worth the value of that person. And Jesus uses the word for, ransom for many. The word anti, Greek for, means in place of or instead of. Jesus, this is the first time Jesus actually begins to explain the meaning of his death, that it is not just an example. It is a substitutionary death. It is a sacrificial death that the son of man gives his life on behalf of who? The many, for you, for me, for the sons of Adam, for the daughters of Eve. This is a hard concept for a lot of people. Why Jesus has to die for sin? Why the violence? Why the blood? Why the sacrifice? And there's a whole lot of really big fat books have been written on the atonement, and we're not gonna really talk about that today, but let me just say this. I think if you've lived at all, just a little bit of life, you'll know this, that all life-changing love, all life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. Just one small example. I think everybody in this room either is a parent or has had a parent. Okay. Is, that, is that true, friends? Everyone here? Yeah, no, no, no one outside of those <laughs> categories here? Um, and, and if you think about it, parenting, kids are highly dependent. Aren't you, kids? Highly dependent, right? And that's beautiful. But the goal of parenting is to make them What? independent adults. And yet here's the great irony. For you to help your kids grow beyond their their dependence, you basically have to abandon your independence for like 20 years. And some of y'all are like, I wish it was only 20 years. Can't get my kid out of my basement. But yeah, I mean, seriously, you gotta wake up in the middle of the night, you gotta change, poop, you gotta read to them, you gotta help them do their homework, you gotta give up doing what you like and wanna do in order to be totally available to them Some parents don't, they won't. They won't make the sacrifice. They won't give up what they want to do and they ruin their kids because to really love your kids, you have to die. You have to make the sacrifice. Either you make the sacrifice or they do. You suffer for a little while the death of your independence in order to make them whole and free. All life-changing love substitutionary sacrifice. Do you see that? And so this this explains the love of God. This is how much God loves you. That when it comes to sin, when it comes to the sin of the world, God can't just wave his hand and forgive you. That's not how forgiveness works. Any of you who have ever had to forgive someone, you know that when someone harms you, there's a debt. Somebody's got to pay it. Either you... You have to pay it yourself and absorb the cost of their offense or you make them pay for what they've done. But it can't just be waved away. Somebody's gotta pay the debt. And so there's this massive debt when it comes to our sin, this cup of wrath, this vat of punishment stored up against us in of humanity. And Jesus says this, I will pay the ransom that you cannot pay. I will drink the cup that you cannot drink. I will die the death that you cannot endure this is at the core of who I am, the core of the love of God is this, self-giving, substitutionary love, my life for yours. And what do we do in response to this? I mean, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all, right? We, we claim this gift. I pray that all of you, with kids, I pray that you would know this about Jesus and you would claim this for yourself, that you adults would do this, that you would say, I'm free, I'm whole, I'm forgiven, I can know God because Jesus substituted himself for me. Have you claimed that gift, friends? You can do it today. But it also means this, if you follow a Savior who substituted himself for you, he now calls you to make his way your way. That the motto for his life, my life for yours, would now be your motto, my life, for yours. From the largest things like Jack, my friend Jack, giving up his life for more than a decade to care for his fading wife, substitutionary love, to the smallest things, kids, like you giving up the last donut so your bratty little brother can have it instead. My life for yours. So followers of Jesus follow the way of Jesus in self-giving, self-sacrifice, following the way of substitutionary love, my life. For years. So let me just recap, friends. There's a big choice here. Jesus is presenting us with this stark choice, two oppositional paths. The contrast that Mark paints between the sons of Zebedee and the son of man could not be more extreme. They coveted honor. Jesus was exposed to shame and humiliation. They were hungry for power. Jesus came to relinquish power and to serve. They demanded comfort and security. Jesus surrendered security to suffer. And die. So on the one side, we see power and security and self-serving. On the other, service and suffering and self-giving. Jesus is depicting two distinct communities, two distinct value systems, two distinct lifestyles that cannot be merged and cannot be assimilated. And perhaps one of the great tragedies today, friends, is that there is often no discernible difference between the community of Jesus and the community of the world. We're equally selfish, equally power hungry, equally committed to comfort, and yet Jesus says dramatically, not so with you, not so with you. If you're gonna follow me, you're going to follow a crucified king, you're to be a crucified people, a people who are the lowest of all servants, a people who find your greatness in humble service, a people who substitute your power and privilege for others, a people who die to the need for comfort and control and pain-free life, who die to your thirst for glory. Jesus gently says to us, as he says to them, not so with you. So let me end with just a few specific challenges. First of all, let me speak to all the parents in the house, okay? I see lots of you young parents in the house. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, friends. Um, I was personally convicted by this this week as a parent because if you read Matthew's account of this, it was not actually James and John who initiated this request. It was their mom. <laughs> <laughs> their mom uh, is the one who asked Jesus or persuaded her sons to ask him for the best seats in the kingdom for her kids. It was her ambition, that drove this request. And I was really convicted by this to meditate on this as a parent because sometimes I will tell you that my temptation is stronger to seek power and success and comfort for my kids than it is more for myself. The challenge for us parents is to not be like Salome. Do not foster false ambitions for your children. Do not encourage them in their selfishness. The greatest thing that we can give to our kids is not the best education, is not the best opportunities, is not the best vacations but a passion to give their lives away in service for God and for the world, to be lovers of God and neighbor, that their motto over their life would be, think about it, my life for yours. Is that your highest priority as you raise your kids? Students, young people, there's a lot of you guys here, basically anybody under 30, are you listening to me? You listen to me? listen. A lot of people in this room would love to be at the place where you are, where you have 40, 50, 60, 70 years before you and you wanna be something great. You can be because God made you and you are great. But why? Why are you gonna be great? Are you gonna do it to get lots of money and to have an awesome car and to have lots of a big house? And is it gonna feed your vanity and pursue success? You can be the things that God made you to be. You can be a successful person teacher or lawyer or doctor or astronaut, but could you do this for loving God and loving your neighbor? Would you determine now, young people, to spend the rest of your life pouring out your life for others? Because this is the way, this is the, the, the way of greatness that Jesus maps for us. I also wanna to speak to you leaders here. There's, there's a lot of people. Someone said to me after um, visiting here recently, he said, wow, there, there's a lot of, There's a lot of people of influence at Third Church, and that's true, friends. There's a lot of people of influence here in business and law and politics and education and the nonprofit, even in politics. And I just want to challenge you that the authority intrinsic to leadership is not to feed your vanity or to advance your success or to pad your nest. That any measure of authority and success that Jesus has given to you is to be stewarded in his way which means giving up, giving up power, giving up position, giving up money, giving up self-advancement. Why? For the advancement of others. That you might disadvantage yourself to advantage others, especially the most poor, the oppressed, and the vulnerable in our city. Are you using your authority to that end? So the two paths are before us. Sarah said that every time they chose the treacherous way, they were glad because it was the beautiful way. And Jesus calls us on that hard path. The way to fullness is to empty yourself. The way to greatness is through humility. The way to be happy is to seek the happiness of others. The way to freedom is through radical surrender. The way to find yourself is to pour yourself out for God. The way up is the way down. The full life is the cruciform life. Does this make any sense? No, it does not. Unless you look at Jesus and you see him giving up everything for you, risking, serving, abandoning, never living for his own interest and only for yours, the more you see Jesus, the more you worship him, the more you love him, the more he is at the center of your soul, the more you will want his beautiful way to be your way, to be our way, May it be so. Let's pray. Maybe just take a moment to say, to address God. Maybe there's a way that you've been convicted today about the way that you have chosen against the way of Jesus in some way. So maybe just talk to him, receive his mercy, his kindness. Hear his gentle voice saying, not so with you. Ask him for help to follow his way. Suffering servant vagabond king who left the secure, comfortable confines of heaven to abandon all for us. May your way become our way. May we give up our life for others as you have given up yours for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.